Welcome back, everybody, to the Uncensored CMO. One thing I am very, very passionate about is the power of creativity to transform your business. Throughout my career, creativity has been one of the most important things that I've applied to delivering results. And I know it's one of those things we just don't talk enough about. So in this episode, I'm joined by a legend of the industry, Sir John Hegarty, one of the founders of BBH, who spent a career applying creativity to solving some big business problems. He's now actually creating a course called The Business of Creativity to train people and teach people how to leverage creativity and its power to make a big difference. This is a great episode. John, as always, has got so many great stories, anecdotes, examples, and decades of experience to bring to this, this important topic. I love talking about creativity, and I really enjoyed recording this. Here's my episode with Sir John Hegarty. Something I'm really passionate about is the power of creativity to transform businesses and really deliver business results. And there's probably no one better to talk about that than, than Sir John himself. Um, so welcome back. Mate, good to be here, John. Now, one of the things that stuck me last time, and, and, and a, lot, a, lot, a lot of people talk about pitching, don't they? And it's, it's one of those angsty things, isn't it? You know, like clients, you know, it's a big deal for clients, but it's flipping big deal for agencies, isn't it? When you're putting all that work in. And I remember you said something that really struck me that you used to, well, firstly, you didn't show work, did you? you, you, you we talk, didn't do, we didn't, didn't show creative work. Didn't show yeah. creative work. Yeah. But you started with a showreel um, of your, of your mm-hmm. which I mean, as a client, you know, you know, I thought it was a genius move because you, you used to have to sit through, here are the creds, here are the team, here's what we've worked on, here's our, you know, and you'd be like 50 minutes of the hour would have passed before, like, like let's see some ads, you know what I mean? So, you forget actually that what clients love are the, are the ads. They like, they like yeah, pictures, they, they like do. children. I love pictures, movement, colour, give it to me. No, it came out of when we uh, opened uh, BBH in New York and uh, we'd go in to do our creds pitch and... Um, they were done in a conventional way. Hi, we are BBH. This is it. Da, da, da. And I could see the interest draining in in these potential, potential, we hope, clients' faces. And I, I kind of said, we've got to do this differently. Because, of course, you know, we were a British agency in America. America is a very kind of a parochial country. They, they don't really like people outside coming in, telling them what to do. They're very sort of, you know, insecure in that way. So anyway, so I said, oh, we've got to do this in a different way. And I remember um, Richard Attenborough, when he was making Gandhi, he talked about the movie Gandhi. He talked that he raised the money for it, but it had to succeed in America. But if it didn't succeed in America, then, you know, they would never make their money back. And he said, why would Americans ever, ever think about a, a, a bloke in a loincloth with two twiglet legs being anybody that they should listen to. I mean, Gandhi, you know, who? Gandhi, never heard of him. It, does he go to the gym? No. All right. So he thought, I've got to, I've got to make them realise this person was important. So he said, I'm going to start the movie with his funeral. And he said, when you see 10 million people turn up to somebody's funeral, you kind of go, my God. Who was this man? So your interest is sparked. So I said, in future, when we do a creds presentation, we walk in, say hello to everybody, and we say, before we say anything, we would just like to show you these five, seven, whatever pieces of work, and then start the conversation. And of course, what happens is they see the work and they go, wow, that's good. I don't mind a bit of that. Oh, that, I remember that. I saw that, at, you know, whatever. And you go, that's who we are, BBH. And then you can kind of... but. You know, the convention is you tell everybody what you do. Here's, who, who's, in, here's who's in the meeting. This is when we started. They're yawning yeah. all the way, you know, well, already. There's so many reasons why. I mean, 
A, you're different to everybody else because everyone else is doing that, aren't doing they? That. So it yeah, stands exactly. out. Yeah, but exactly. you, you've invested so much talent, time, money, making some amazingly emotive, creative work. You might as well show it off. And then also from a client, I mean, you think about a client's point of view, you're thinking, do they understand my problem? You know, um, are they going to be able to create something that's going to really work? And there's nothing better than showing someone that. Is showing work. And of course you realise and... and Good clients, and in a kind of way, your presentation process is a filtering process as well, because it, it kind of filters out the people you don't want to work with. Because if they look at it and go, oh, I think that's ridiculous and stupid, I'd never buy that, well, fine, then, you know, we don't want to work with you. So you've, you've got to use it as a filtering process of kind of getting them to understand what it is you're about, but also getting them to realise that what you're trying to create is magic. And, and, that's, and those that get that, realize you've got to have a relationship and you've got to have a sort of a way of working that allows magic to occur. Because, you know, why does one piece of creativity work against another piece of creativity? You know, in anything, in movies, in books, in, in, in painting, in whatever. And it, because it has magic and yeah. you've got to allow room for the magic to occur. Yeah. So you've got to get people to understand. And it's very that. hard to tell people magic, isn't it? it, it you can't go, we're going to create some magic. You know, it's very rational. You've got to show magic or experience it or feel it, don't you? So- and they, they kind of think, oh, no, God, you know, they're, they're going to be all over the place. They're looking for magic. Oh, no, we don't want that. No, no, no. I want to be able to measure everything. And, of course, you can't. Me- can't measure the magic. You exactly. can't measure the magic. And that's what you're looking for. It's like a product. Why does one product succeed versus another? Yes, there are lots of rational things. There are all kinds of thing but on top of it there's something that just captures people's imagination now this might be a mean question john because um but you talked about your showreel and and i would always be intrigued if you had let's say five in your showreel you've obviously made a lot of very successful campaigns over a large number of years which five ads would make that show real if you had to choose? Ooh. And you're talking such from, a mean you're question, but you've got BBH. Yeah, yeah. Let's say BBH. Let's do BBH the, because the prior to that, yeah. there are. And, well, it, yeah, it's a mean question yeah, um, because I'm I'm almost certainly going to upset somebody now. I was going to say yeah. I heard the, you didn't mention. You only get a phone call office from some client going, "Hang on a second, you didn't mention our or one of the creatives. You didn't mention that ad you thought was one of the best things we ever did. Well, I did that day. The next day, there was something else. Or, no, or, or, I, or maybe, I, maybe five that stood out for yeah. different reasons. Well, I, mean, I think you know. I, I could do five that sort of, they are moments in time when yeah. you go, that changed things. Yes. So the first one I would do, obviously, would be, not obviously, but you don't know, would be Audi Villas, which was the launch of um, Vorsprung Dirk Technik. And that transformed... BBH's fortunes because all of a sudden we came up with this ad that was everybody was talking about can you uh, uh, beat the Germans to the beach and it launched Vorsprung Dirk Technik that was interestingly all the research said don't don't use it because people don't like to be reminded the car is German they don't like the Germans and all that rubbish that you know that you get from people but fortunately we had a brilliant brilliant Two brilliant clients there, uh, uh, Brian Bowler and Johnny Mazaris, and and they went, we're a German brand. Let's tell people we're German, and it's it's something we should be proud of, and it has value because Germans are known for engineering. So that was the first one. Then I think I would go for a kind of personal favourite of mine was uh, K Shoes Creeks. Now I didn't do all of these, by the way. I must make that clear. I was creative director on them. I, some I personally did, some I did. So and I worked a lot on on them with the other creative teams, but they are not totally mine, so I must make that clear. So Keishu Creeks was brilliant. Um, uh, 
and it it was a a demonstration of how you match head and heart and uh, uh, how you put a rational message into an emotional story. And it's a brilliant example of it. And in many ways, it was really ahead of its time because we were putting women in charge. We were So this is made in like 1986, and he was a woman centre stage. She was the, she was the, the major protagonist. And uh, it got us tremendous coverage, press coverage in, in the newspapers for the sort of the attitude of the ad of putting women in charge. Then, of course, I have to do Levi's Laundrette because even though in many ways I think some of the later ads were in some ways better, this is the one that got it going. What, 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 can I ask you why that one at that time? Was there anything in terms of culture or moment in time that made that, or is it all the things coming together? Because it's a very that could be like a half hour conversation. I don't think we've got that somehow. Something, to, but it is a very, very interesting. There is a sense of timing, um, but it really was in in a way a piece of magic. And I've always talked about one of the reasons I love working with film. I love print. I love doing it. I love all that, but. You can kind of work it out. You can look at it, change that, do that. When you work with film, you just don't know until you see it put together. You just don't know. You've done everything right. You've been at the shoot. You've watched the performances. Until you see it stitched together, you just don't. And for me, that is where the magic occurs. Because with, with that one, I, I, I was target audience. I was 15, 16 when that came out. I, I bought the cassette, with, with, you know, with, with uh, yeah, because there was actually a cassette, wasn't there, with all the songs, with on, all the songs and, yeah, on it. So yeah, I yeah, bought yeah. the cassette. I bought the Levi's. <laughs> um, it was surprising seeing a guy get undressed. You know what I mean? That's it was right. just like yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. that was a bit risky at the time. That was you know? very risky, and, and everyone was talking about it. So yeah. I, I kind of experienced what you created as a, as a yeah. So it audience. kind of transformed. Obviously, it yeah. transformed a method of advertising, a style of advertising that people later copied. That's fine. That's that's a great compliment. It revolutionised, obviously, boxer shorts. We've yeah. had that story a thousand times. And it also revived the careers uh, of people like Marvin Gaye and, and Benny King. Revived their careers. People didn't, had forgotten them. And um, I always remember that uh, the, the writing team of Stock, Aiken Waterman, sort of, you know, were very critical of it. And they said, why are they doing this? They're getting old tracks out and da 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 I mean, completely stupid. And what they had failed to understand and what we tapped into in a way, which we didn't realise at the time, is that music, if I can call it, we can call it whatever you like, pop music, rock and roll, R&B, it now had a history. It now had a history. And in, in a sense, what we were doing with that was reminding people of their history. So people were going back and going, God, I never knew about this. I never knew there was this guy called Benny King or Marvin Gaye. What amazing track. So we opened people to a whole genre of music that they hadn't seen before. So it, it yeah. hit many, many points. And obviously, as we all know, it became um, incredibly famous. And then my next, next ad is um, for the launch of Xbox in, in Europe. And uh, if I said to you, the brief is, um, you've got 60 seconds, you've got to explain the meaning of life. You'd go, look, I mean, you know, the Bible tries to do that, and it's several volumes. How am I going to do that? You can do it. It's amazing what you can do in 60 seconds. So if you go online, go on to YouTube, type in Xbox Champagne, 
launch of Xbox in Europe, and you'll see that you can explain the meaning of life wow. in 60 seconds. <laughs> that's a brief. <laughs> that's a brief. So that, that's why I selected that one. And my last one is back to Levi's because they were such a, a phenomenal client uh, for us at, at BBH. Uh, was Flat Eric, uh, the traffic mm. cop. And Flat Eric was great because we decided that we needed a different kind of hero. We'd done this singular hero and people talked about kind of, oh, it's, you know, it's very cool, but maybe we should do something else. And maybe what we should do is about a partnership or something like that. And uh, so I, I, I thought this was interesting, but all the scripts we were writing were just, you know, predictable. You know, if you, when you read a script, if you go, yeah, I know where this is going, then throw it away. Yeah, yeah. You've got to give people a reason. Why, they, why, why should they keep watching? Because they don't know where mm. it's going to go. If they feel they know where it's going to go, then they stop watching, obviously. And uh, so with this, we thought, you know, we've got to do something different. And then I'd been shown this fluffy puppet some about six months beforehand. And I thought, wonder if we got this fluffy puppet as a hero along with his buddy. And they're on a road trip. So it's Jack Kerouac on the road. But one of the characters is a yellow fluffy puppet. But treat the fluffy puppet as though it's real. You know, nobody's surprised, you know, when the traffic cop stops them. He doesn't go... What's this fluffy puppy do? <laughs> they just, yeah, it's a fluffy puppy. <laughs> and, uh, it, and it was, and the thing with that was that, again, you never know. Yeah. And I had so many people coming up to, I had, I had to take it back to the client three times before they eventually bought it. Well, I was going to ask you about this because the obvious, you know, if, with my, if I put my client hat on, it's like, how did you sell that? You know, we're going to call him Flat Eric, puppet, you know, that, yeah, what, what, what convinced them to kind of go with this idea? Well, the, the way I sold it was I didn't, I just described the scenario. Two characters in a car, stopped by the traffic cop, classic situation in America. They're sort of, you know, think of Jack Kerouac on the road. Once of them step outside the car, we get to see what the guy's wearing, open the trunk. In there, he's got all the clothes laid out. And they're going, oh, yeah, John, oh, this, we, we, we really love this. Because they want, they want security in a way, which I sort of understand. And I said, that's great. And there's only actually one thing I haven't told you about this. And I said, what? And I said, well, one of them characters is a fluffy yellow puppet called Flat Eric. And they went, what? What? And I said, yeah, Flat Eric. And, and because it's a unique partnership. You know, you've seen all the other partnerships. This is a unique one. And they thought I had gone mad. As many people in the agency thought, oh, John's lost it. This is, this is going to be a disaster. And you have to hold on to it. But I went back three times. I said, you're not seeing it. You know, and I got lots of references for other things and how people like puppets and stuff like that. Actually, I just wore them down. I think <laughs> okay. I wore them yeah, down. Yes. Oh, he's going to come We back just have get, to say yes oh, to get him to shut God, up. God, <laughs> to get rid of him. Oh, please get him out of the room. Just say yes, for Christ's sake. And, he, and, and to be fair to them, too, they kind of went, you might be right. Uh, but they didn't know it was a real risk. And uh, again, it was phenomenal. It just exploded. But I think this touches on an important point in advertising, that so much of what works is irrational. Of and course. yet you're dealing with people mm. that are, you know, accountants, you know, salespeople, yeah. that, that they need certainty and logic and so on. So it's a skill, isn't it? How to sort of pitch an idea that on the, fir on the surface seems crazy. But actually, I mean, it's, it's one of those funny things that the more I've gone in my career, the more I've read about the science behind marketing, the more I realise that makes so much sense in terms of it's surprising, it's characters, that, yeah. you know, it, all, that, all that kind of thing. That's, yeah. Well, it's kind of, it, and also the audience are able to kind of understand what it is and where it is you're coming from. Yeah. I mean, my big disappointment with that as part of that campaign was that I wanted 
like back covers of Vogue and all those style magazines <laughs> just to have a big sort picture of, of the media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big pictures of Flat Eric <laughs> on the catwalk. Of being, yeah, yeah. Instead <laughs> so. of that sort of, you know, macho guy or, you know, groovy model or whatever it was. And that was my only disappointment with yeah. it, that we didn't get that. Which what, if you, what if you think you want to be surprising, you yeah. want to make people feel something and yeah. remember it, right? And make it them does laugh, all those things, you know? yeah. I mean, one of the things that, that, you know, when you look at lots of BBH, even the Levi's work, we tried to put a little joke in there. And people have forgotten advertising is a part of its job is helps making people laugh, you know. And there's a lovely, I always remember seeing a wonderful documentary about a, a trader, a, a, a legendary trader in Petticoat Lane. And um, the interviewer, Joan Bakewell, it was on one of her, pro, her programmes and she, she interviewed just interesting characters and she'd followed this guy for a week. And I remember, and she, and she was interviewing him and said, look, one of the things I've noticed about you whenever you're, you're you know, selling is you're always telling jokes. And he said, yes, darling. He said, when they're not smiling, they're not buying. And uh, you know, from <laughs> that, it. you know, from that, that sort of gut, yeah, ability to sell, which yeah. a sort of uh, a street trader has. Advertising could learn a lot of lessons. We've what, stopped why, making why people we, laugh. So why have we lost some of the things that have forever been true? Like you know, not smiling, you're not buying. You know, what is it about today? Have we got too serious, or why do you think we've kind of stopped doing that kind of thing? Well, we we've become obsessed with technology, and we've allowed technologists to take over. Mm. And and you know, technology is crucial. It's fundamentally important. But I've I I sort of I've, I've done a talk called Can You Name Gutenberg's Second Book on what seems to happen with a bit of... So Gutenberg, you know, as we all know... Printing press, Printing the Bible, press, yeah. the movable type, yeah. you know, phenomenal. He was the Steve Jobs, Sergey Brin, Larry Page, you know, all of them mm. of his day, 1440, revolutionised, you know, all sorts of things came out of that, the Renaissance. But he was a technologist. So what did he print? He printed the Bible. And you kind of go, well, well, goody, that's been around for a thousand years. What else are you going to do? Well, he didn't. And I, uh, there is a reason for that. I'm being a bit, you know. But anyway, my point is that, you know, when you have phenomenal bits of technology, the technology is so you could do this with it. And because they're not, they don't think creatively, they don't think about imagination, think about the technology. They come up with very practical things that you can do. And I think over the last 20 years, because the technology has been kind of, you know, it's phenomenal what's happened in the last 20 years. We're constantly battling this bit of technology. And it isn't until we settle down, we think about it, we look at it, that creative people come back in and go, actually, you know, instead of printing the Bible, we could print novels, we could print stories and you invent the publishing industry or... You know, when when um, uh, uh, the two guys, um, my brain stopped working there, who, who developed the moving camera. The Lumiere brothers? The Lumiere brothers. Yes. They actually gave up on it. They didn't realise they'd invented Hollywood. Mm. You know, they didn't, they just, oh, I don't know what to do with this. And they went back to taking not very good photographs. So you get this sort of inability. You know, it's like Les Paul. He's in the, he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, not because he wrote any great rock and roll, but he, created a great guitar, a bit of technology. But it yeah. took 15 years for somebody to write Rock Around the Clock yeah. and go, wow, this is what you could do with an electric guitar. So I think you get this lag, yeah. a creative lag, when creative people then become a bit more confident with it. I know how to use it. I know how to subvert it. But a lot of creativity is subverting something. So, you know, if you're a novelist, you know, Jack Kerouac, we've talked about, subverted the way a novel was written. 
because we had a point of view about the way a novel was written. He subverted that. So once you've got an awareness of it, you can then use creativity to subvert it and make people more interested. And I think we're in that, yeah. that kind of place right yeah. now. And we'll get through it. And, uh, but I think, you know, my one plea to everybody out there, if you're in the advertising industry, make people laugh. Yes, I couldn't they agree They love more. it. I know. They love laughing and they'll come back for more. Yeah. You know, yeah. it works. Yeah. <laughs> one, of the, one question I wanted to ask you, you know, you, 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 you've sold a lot of ideas to a lot of clients. What's the secret to pitching, you know, to, to a more rational audience, some of the kind of emotive work that you've done? Well, I think the first trick, and I, I talk quite a lot about this, is, is I've seen great ideas die because the creative people selling them are kind of aren't aware of how you sell. The first thing you've got to do is make the person you're selling to realise that you've understood their problem. That is crucial. You can, you know, give it back to them, you know, say, this is it, this is the problem you've got, this is what fascinates me about it. And then when you're talking about your idea, don't use your words. You know, I think this will be cool, it'll be really great, it'll be, you know, it'll get awards and you'll be noted. No, this will get, you know, use their words. This will get my audience engaged. This will, this will increase repetition or this will, whatever. And you see so often creative people trying to sell their idea and they're selling it from what it seems. They're almost certainly not, but it sounds as though it's from their point of view, not from the person you're selling it to. So you've got to get the person you're selling it to aware that I've solved your problem. And then they're more likely to buy it. They're not going to buy it if they think, well, you've done something because, John, that's what you like doing. You know, you like shooting commercials in black and white or filming black or whatever it might be. Yes. You know? So it's really important that you get them to understand that you've understood their problem. One of the things I think people forget, because I've, I've been, I guess, on the other side of the fence with you know, dealing with ECDs, is reminding them that I, I have to sell the idea on. And often people forget that, I, you know, after go, I love this idea so much, it's brilliant, but help me because I've got to go back and talk to the CFO. I've got to talk to the sales director. I need to talk to the CEO. And they want to know, is it going to work? You know, what, you know, what metrics will it move? And, you know, how will it fix the problem? All those kind of things. So sometimes I feel like I, I can see the idea and I can, you know, infuse by it. But often you've got to go and sell it to someone else. That, you know, one of the crucial moments in my career in advertising is I realised that. And I was I, very early on in my career and I was trying to convince this client and eventually they were going, okay. And then, you know, Two weeks later, they came back and they said, no, the board won't buy it. And I thought, what have the board got to do with it? Yeah, you bought yeah. it. And I suddenly realised that when you're selling something to a client or you're trying to get them to buy an idea, they've in turn got to go back and sell it within. So you've got to give them things. What's the, what's the crucial point here? When they're asked, well, will this move that or why is it like that? You've got to give them the ammunition to argue back, yeah, I, I've often been in the in, in the boardroom where I've I've shown the ad, and it's it's like tumbleweed because you're dealing with people that are just not used to seeing creative work no or feeding back, yeah. and it's it's the most awkward. It's awful, but if you can, it, but you so you need to go armed with a you know mm. kind of you know this is how it's going to deliver our business. You know this is how we're going to we're all going to be getting bonuses off them, you know, or yeah. whatever it is, you know. And often it's great to show. You know, we, all, we often used to do that. Here are your three competitors and here's why their, ad, their, their ads aren't working. That's a nice move. And so yeah. you can get an advantage. Yeah. You can get an advantage by beating your competitors. Yeah. And they go, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So you've got to make them feel 
good about yeah, it. Yeah, we've, we've all had that moment where the CEO has dropped an email saying, I've just seen, you know, competitor X on this. You know, what's our response, John? What's our response? Come on. Like, what are we doing? You know, you've been suddenly on the back foot. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, been there a lot. Uh, let, let's flip it for a second because... You know, I don't think anyone wants to make bad work, or I hope they're not. You know, we all want to make great creative work that becomes famous and and shifts business. What if you? What would your advice be to a client? So let's say I'm the CMO to get the most out of an agency relationship, because I think sometimes I, I, I've seen them fly and I've seen them kind of frustrate. You know, in equal measure. And there's definitely an art to it, isn't it, from a client's point of view, to be better at unleashing creativity. What's what are the? Well, tips I, for that? I always say, you know, when I've given talks to some of our clients about how could we be a better client. I mean, the first thing is you've got to inspire the audience you're talking to, just as they would their sales force. They'd go into their sales force and they'd talk about the brilliant things they're going to do that's going to make it very much easier for them to sell. The client's got to do the same thing or should be doing the same thing to the agency, inspire them, give them ambition, you know, I want this to be great. I want this to be talked about. I want this to sort of really frighten our competitors. I want everybody else to be on the back foot. I'm looking for something, you know, whatever words you want to do. So that's very important, very important for a clear brief, you know, um, and create time for them to do it and have an open dialogue and have an open kind of conversation if you're unsure about something. And I always said to clients, you know, it's fair enough for you to say, I just don't like it. Yeah. I just don't like it. You know, and that's, that's, that's not an unreasonable thing for somebody to say, you know, because it is quite personal. And then you can talk about it and you go, well, I understand that. I understand you saying that. Here's why I think it's right. But you may then have to tear it up and start again. So I think the most important thing is ambition, is to make people realise that you want to buy something great. And if you do that, you'll get people thinking about it 24 hours a day, not just eight hours of the day or six hours of the mm. day. And that's all free. That yeah, bit's free. True. You don't pay extra. You probably pay more by accepting the poorer work and then having to redo it later. And redo it later. And know. it's not as effective, And then you've of course, changed yeah. the campaign a year later. But, you know, it, it, inspiring credit people, was, you know, because by and large, credit people come in and they want, they want to do great work. They're, they're not thinking about their pension or they're not thinking about... Mm. They, because they're kind of... They think like that. They want to, want to produce great stuff. So... To inspire them is fundamentally important. Yeah. And then, as I say, you get them working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And as I say, you don't pay more for that. Yeah, That's true, free. True. Something else I want to touch on, actually, is, 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 is the brief itself. And I've been guilty of this. Um, often the brief is not necessarily written by the most senior person. It's usually a template to fill out. It doesn't get the, you know, the love it deserves. And I'll be in the meeting and I'll, I'll get the creative back and I'll go, that's not what we actually need. And it's that horrible sinking feeling going, oh, shit. <laughs> and, and I'll look back at the brief and go, yeah, I can see how they ended up there. You know, because, in, you know, in a brief, not everything's equal. It doesn't necessarily emphasise in light. It's the thing that really needs to happen. And sometimes things change as well. Sometimes, like, you know, you've just had this big challenge drops on your desk, you know, a couple of weeks after. And you go, oh, they're busy working on this. And now I've got to go and do that, you know, and all these sort of things. So one of the tips I often say when I sort of did uh, training, pitch training is, when you receive the pitch, uh, sorry, the pitch, the brief, always phone up the client, ask for 15 minutes just to have a quick chat and just say, help me understand what's behind this brief. Like what, what's the issue you're, you know, what's keeping you awake at night? And ask some basic questions like what are your 
targets, you know? Um, who decides? Who's going to make the decision on this? And do we need to think about it from their perspective? You know, th- there's five or six questions you can get to get on this going to be. But I think clients actually uh, do a disservice to agencies by not being as open and honest about all the things that go on in their business that actually, if you knew that, you know, the amount of conversation I've had where, I, where they've gone, well, John, if we'd known that, you know what? We would have like, you know, done yeah, something, done something completely, completely different. different you know? I mean, I think... So I mean, the best brief for short. Mm. Because I, I was thinking about this, and it was like, uh, I'm an atheist, and a, a proud atheist, but I'm always fascinated by people who are, you know, believe in Christianity and the Bible. And they all pick out the bits that they want. You know, yes. you know eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Thou shalt not kill. They go, oh, it says in the, so they've all got bits of it. They go, and briefs, if they're long, become like that. Because people read them and they go, oh, yeah, but here it says. That's the bit I'm going to focus I'm on. Focused yeah, yeah, yeah. on. And you go, no, 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 that was, I just put that in because I thought. Yeah. So the less in there, yeah. the better. Mm. What is it? This is what I want you to do. The one thing it must, must do, is do is this, this. right? Yeah, exactly. Right, that's then, it. Because it, it, you know, it can only do one thing. If it's brilliant, then other things will ripple out from it. Yeah. But that's its job. It's funny, in my day job now, I'm on the other side of the fence the first time in my career. And one of the simple tricks I've adopted is just go, repeat the brief back and said, by the way, this is what you asked us to do. And this is what you're going to get back. You know, so, <laughs> I know it sounds really basic, but the clients then just go, ah, oh, they've listened. They get it. Yes, and then you. if they decide, like I used to, that, well, it's not really the brief, then at least I've done what I've been asked. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but I, and I think that the, the, the shorter you make it, the better. And then, because that focuses Which the is mind. harder though, by the way, isn't it? Yeah, this is course, the classic yeah. thing of actually yeah. getting down to that, what does this really have the to do? The power of reduction, you yeah. know, which is what advertising yeah. is all about, of course. You know. Yeah. How can I get a meaningful message in 30, 60 seconds? Uh, I can get the meaning of life, by the way. Well, I was going to say. If you go back to that Xbox uh, champagne, Xbox champagne <laughs> meaning of life is there. Um, what's, do you, uh, one thing I was going to ask you about is, you know, something that, you know, BBH very famous for, uh, I guess, building brands. We talked about Levi's and how, you know, how you built brands. Do you think there's an art or an understanding of brand building that maybe we've lost a bit today that we need to rediscover? I think there are some fundamentals about brand building, which I think people have lost. And of course, you know, and I quote this time and time again, but, you know, that lovely line about a brand is made not just by the people who buy it, but also by the people who know about it. And that is so fundamental. I mean, if, if there's anything you can take from this chat today, please take that. Write it out, put it on the wall. When anybody comes and talks to you about a piece of advertising you're doing or a brief you're getting, remember, that's what makes a brand. And the examples are, you know, it's, it's, I always use the example, it was, you know, Taylor Swift. Why do I, I'm never going to buy one of her uh, download one of her albums. I'm never going to go to one of her concerts, but I know about her, yeah. you know, and that adds to her fame and adds to her power. And that's what a brand has got to do. And, you know, great piece of advertising, Marmite, has turned that into an advertising campaign, yes. love or hate, you know. They're brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So it's getting people to understand that. And I think we've lost that ability to understand that important point because we've started saying, oh, broadcast is a waste of time. And there's no such thing as a waste of time. You know, that, that you know, broadcast is fundamentally important. That's how you get a, a message across. It's called a broadcast, as, yeah. you know, a very simple Pleasant word. Title. But if you're just focusing your advertising 
at a kind of the audience that is going to like you. That's fine. That's very good. That's called promotion. But you've also got to create persuasion. And you don't know who's going to like your product. You don't know who's going to recommend it to somebody else. You don't know. And fame, which is what we're talking about here, increases the value of your brand. A, a small data point, actually, I discovered uh, not that long ago that, that's kind of really helped shape my understanding of this is how, uh, it's, it's going to sound really obvious, but most people are not thinking about buying you at the time that they see you, your advertising. So actually what you're doing is building up demand in the future. And I think there was, it's a B2B stat, but there's a stat from Ehrenberg Bass that said 95% of people in a B2B, B2B context are not considering buying you at this point in time. And if you make, if you think about it, you know, are you thinking about buying a new watch? Well, not today, but I might be tomorrow. <laughs> you know? might be tomorrow Am I yeah. changing my car? Yeah. Well, not today. I'm not, you know, but I might be tomorrow. So the, the work of most advertising is actually to shape the impressions and get on the, the mental shortlist of tomorrow. And as soon as you understand that, you suddenly think, oh, OK, well, maybe I don't need to sell the three, you know, top reasons why you should buy today. I should be, you know, creating memories, creating impressions and, you know, that will last so that at some point in the future you'll walk into that dealership and go, that's the one I'm going to get. And that's where in a way, and, and I, you know, and I do think social media is amazing where it can how much longer we're going to be able to do this, of course, because tracking is a major, I call it stalking, by the way, as a media strategy. Not a great way to build a relationship, stalking. Doesn't, doesn't, isn't meaningful in any sort of sense of you know, uh, creating happiness. But, you know, with social media, you can sort of capture somebody, you kind of know there's an awareness of something and you can promote your idea. But alongside that, You've also got to do persuasion so that when you're thinking about it and something comes out, oh, yes, that's the watch I want or that's the car I want or that's the one I admire. So you've got to do both things. You can't do one without the other. Yeah. Uh, and sadly, we've, that, that the last 20 years has seen us forget that persuasion is as important as promotion. It is. Now, one of the things I, I've had the opportunity to work at BBH two or three times in my career, and one thing I remember every time from the sort of presentations is the commitment to delivery or the business result. And, and it's always been emphasized that, you know, we're not just here to do the creative work, we're here to do creative work that's delivering a business result. And it's incredibly reassuring as a client because I'm, you know, we, we've all got targets to meet, you know, we're all under pressure. We've all got to go and justify what we do. And, you know, you look at the research that talks about the power of creativity, you know, in often it's the most important lever at your disposal. But for, we don't seem to be placing it up at the top in the way that it maybe deserves. Why, why is that? And what's the sort of case for creativity in well, terms I think of power? That, yeah, there's a suspicion of creativity. So, you know, at BBH, we always linked creativity and effectiveness. And when we said they're, they're, they're interwoven, you know, you can't separate them because a great idea gets remembered and a great idea gets repeated and that adds to your effectiveness. But there is a kind of, and it's a weird thing as a sort of, when it comes to creativity, people are unsure of it, which is why I'm, I'm now, you know, doing this thing called the business of creativity, because I'm trying to get businesses to understand that creativity is fundamental to their success. And, you know, there's lots of evidence out there. Even McKinsey are saying, you know, um, those companies that engage positively with creativity create better returns for their shareholders. And an article the week before last in the Sunday Times, Oliver Shah talking about creativity is the one thing businesses have got to engage with. So I've, with my partners at the garage, we've created this series of lectures 
getting people to understand creativity, understand that it's central to your business. It's not something that you buy occasionally, or I might do a bit of creativity. But it's, you know, having a, 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 a starting a business is a creative act. You know, you have to kind of have an idea. You have to kind of decide what it is you're making. What are you going to call it? How is it going to package? What are you going to, it, These are all creative decisions. So it's getting people to feel one. Of course, yes. So creativity is important to me and getting them to feel relaxed about it, understand it. You know, my, my silly analogy, which I keep using, is kind of like, you know, if I said to you, you know, I've got these keys to a Lamborghini. It's outside. You know, it does naught to 60 in one and a half seconds. You can take it for a drive. If you didn't know how to drive, you wouldn't get in it, would you? You'd no. go, no, well, I'm not getting in <laughs> But, of course, if you did know how to drive, you'd go, oh, I'll give that a go. Yeah, yeah. Well, the same with creativity. If you understand it, because people, it's amazing how they kind of stand back from it. Oh, yeah. I don't know, you're creative, John. It does John, frighten and, people. You yeah. know, it frightens yeah. people. It, it does. It's not to be frightened. We're all creative. Yeah. And getting them to feel relaxed about it. So we, we're doing this with the business of creativity, which is, you know, large organisations are, are buying into it and going, yes, this is very important, mm. because it gives us a competitive edge and it also makes us better. It also helps us deal with all the creative issues that come in. We understand it now. Oh, I see. I've defined creativity. There are two types of creativity. Right, understood that. What's the difference between creativity and innovation? Oh, I understand that now. All these things you've got to understand. I think I think that's really helpful because it's a bit like brand building, isn't it? Like I, I did finance for my degree and, you know, intangible assets on the balance sheet, brand is often the biggest intangible asset. You know, if you sold all the factories and all the supply chain and, you know, got rid of all the people, the brand would still be worth more than the sum of all that, you know, quite a lot more in some cases. I mean, it's what, it allows you to charge a premium. It's what creates demand and all that kind of thing. Creative is a bit like that. Creative is the thing that builds that intangible. And sometimes we just need some help, don't we, to kind of like mm. put a value on it or understand it or, or sell yeah. it sort of thing. Well, the other thing too is if you, if you realise we are all creative. Yes, yes. I mean, that's an important... I mean, it may sound like a silly thing to say, but everybody is creative. Mm. Now, some are obviously better at it than others, but that's all right. That's, you know, we can all sing. Everybody can sing. You don't want to hear me sing. <laughs> I, I promise say, you, I'll, it's not. A, it's I'll not, compete with no, you for the. Not, for the it's not great. No, no, no. You don't. Yeah, yeah. But we can, mm. and you can get better at it, even yeah. though you're never going to play the Albert Hall. So the same with creativity. Getting people to understand, we are all creative, and mm. it contributes to our everyday life, and it contributes to our business success. I think broad definition, and, you, and you, I know in, in your book you re, you're really good at explaining that because, or one of your books, I should say, um, because actually. You create, sometimes we talk about the creative, don't we? We narrow it down, don't we, to the thing, right? But actually creativity in its broad sense is, you know, how you solve a customer service problem or how you get something totally. made or, you know. Totally. It, and it, you're engaging with it thing. all the time. Yeah. And also the other thing about it is that once you, you are aware of this, it actually makes lots of things in your life more enjoyable. You know, I, I, I mean, I was lucky I went to art school and, and it, when you go to art school, you are dealing completely with people who are going to follow in some sense or another a creative profession. And it's the most exciting place to be. And the more you engage with creativity, the more interesting your life becomes, you know, because it explains so much or it helps you understand so much. You know, why did I go and see that movie? Why did I buy that suit? Why did I go and get that meal? That was the way they did that. That was rather, you know, it opens up all kinds of things to you. So it's a, an amazing, obviously an amazing subject, getting people to feel at ease with it and how it can guide and help and drive their business is fundamentally important. And that's why, 
you know, I really am on a mission on it. It's something I feel very powerfully uh, about that, that, you know, the business of creativity is fundamentally important to our success. Now, now you've obviously got a huge amount of experience going into this, but you've also collaborated, I believe, haven't you, with some pretty well-known oh, people in yeah, yeah. the business of creativity. T- talk me through some of the guests that you've... Well, we've uh, got, what we've done is we, 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 I do a kind of each week it's a subject yeah. about creativity. So what drives it, define it, things like that. What is the foundation of it? How do you live a more creative life? And at the end of it, so about 30, 40 minutes talk, I interview somebody who has sort of, you know, uh, uh, in business who is obviously used creativity. So, for instance, Greg Hoffman, who is the ex-Nike CMO, absolutely brilliant. Uh, Paul Smith, fashion designer, very obviously. Thomas Heatherwick, who's amazing architect, designer. Anya Highmarsh. And and people talking about, you know, James Vincent, who is at Apple and helped develop the iPhone – talking about how they engage with creativity and how it drives their business. And it's obvious with yeah. some people, yeah. um, but they give you tips. The other thing, great thing about them, you get tips from them about how they do it, which you can take into your business. That's and they're amazing. brilliant. I, I, Thomas Heatherwick, I won't give it away, but it's got <laughs> some brilliant way of, uh, of running a creative meeting. And I go, bloody hell, if I only had known that, I'd have done that. Imagine having that collection of people yeah. basically oh, mentoring you. Yeah, yeah. Right? it's, it's you just know, fantastic. It's incredible. And, and they're terrific. And uh, it's enjoyable. That's the other thing. We wanted to make this like a kind of, um, you know, I'm, I'm slightly arrogantly saying, it could run on Netflix. It's not yes. just a cold lecture. So we've made it try to interactive and interesting, and it could be a sort of like a documentary on creativity. And then the interviews with the people are really fascinating mm. and what they bring to it and their contribution and well, how they work. Well, it. It's quite funny. I got fortunate got to have a little preview. It's um, beautifully produced, as you would expect, of course, you know, which is quite funny because I think, uh, you know, I, I think I spent about £7,000 on this kit to get, get, get this <laughs> podcast on YouTube and so on. And I thought, yeah, if, if Sir John Hegarty's making a course, it's <laughs> going to be pretty good, you know. But um, how, how do you go about the production, actually? Did, did you, um, presi- with all your experience, experience did you get a crew together that you, yeah we that got a crew together i mean we did it with a team at the and, garage and we you know. we kind of everybody we we kind of wrote it obviously we have yeah. planned it all out and it we sort of used my book on creativity but everybody contributed to kind of i think that could work like this yeah. so we we did it over eight sessions originally i wanted to do it as a scripted presentation you know with kind of rolling screens and all that sort of stuff and we kind of went that's not really working it's too stilted so i had to kind of do it with caption headings and then talk off that um and then in you know putting in kind of examples of things that we're talking about use of music um i we wanted to use um cannonball adderley's work song couldn't get it they wouldn't you know so we had to re-record it but i wanted a great piece of music and i thought work song being a great jazz fan was sort of slightly relevant you know but the idea was is to make it in a way that it would be like a uh, as I say, a documentary on iPlayer or Netflix or whatever it might be. So it, you want to watch And it. I think the guest thing is a genius move because yeah. you go from the sort of theory and talking about it into, well, here's what I actually did and here's what actually happened. And here's somebody who's done it. Yeah, exactly. And, and these got, are the things they do. Yeah, you might learn incredible. from them, yeah, you know, exactly. mentors, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so that always was a very important part of it. Mm. Um, and, and as I say, I, I was able to get some wonderful people. Sadly, we, not... We missed a few people, which is a shame, but they were all great. Yeah. And going back to one of your previous comments, actually, I, I think one of the 
the benefits of doing kind of that kind of training is actually building your confidence because I mean, I'm fairly creative, but I still don't always have the confidence to believe in my idea or, or, or to articulate in the right way or to kind of just take the risk. Sometimes the risk is not taking the risk, isn't it, with yeah. these things? And that, that, that's a really good way of getting confidence. And also be able to say to people, look, I've, I've done this, right? I, I've learned from the very best. Yeah, I think one of the things I would say, and of course, you're, 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 I, this will make you laugh, a lot of creative people do bullshit <laughs> yeah. because they know <laughs> yeah, the yeah, person yeah. they're selling to doesn't really understand it. So they, I, I, well, I thought, oh, this is terrible. They're bullshitting now. And this, if you go yeah. through this course, you'll know when somebody's bullshitting yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. if you buy creative work, if you I have to buy it or you have to, you'll know when Wanna you're Want to spot being, the bullshit? Want to spot up. the bullshit. <laughs> just buy yeah. the business of creativity because it will give you the confidence to go, no, it's rubbish. That's a load of nonsense. You don't do it like that. Yeah. So I, I think that's one of the sort of you know, little side benefits of, of doing this. You won't be bullshitted again. You talked about your passion for doing this. What, what do you hope happens as a legacy or a result of putting this together? You've obviously put a lot of time and effort based on many, many years of experience. I, I, deep down, I want it to help the economy because I think if businesses do engage with creativity, there'll be more success. If there's more success, there's a stronger economy. So it's not just creativity for the sake of it. It is actually that I, we're going to help the economy in some shape or form. And, you know, also I would love to see better ideas. And I've got this this thing that I'm, I've talked about is that you know, we often talk about, you know, why you should buy a better idea. We talk about effectiveness and we talk about all those things, don't we? And still people aren't buying it. They're still kind of... One of the things I've added to that is it's um, a great idea helps the environment because it doesn't need the amount of investment behind it to make it work. And if you think, you know, online or if you think about the amount of energy that is being consumed by social media, this is a kind of slightly serious yeah, point, yeah. something like this estimated, something like 10 to 20% of it goes to the marketing. 10 to 20%. So if on that you could have a better idea that didn't need as much energy pushed behind it, you would have a green economy or you turn creativity into a green economy. And I want people to think about it like that. A great idea doesn't need as much energy behind it because people then pick it up and they talk to everybody else about it. And as we know, word of mouth is one of the most effective methods of advertising and also doesn't use any, any energy. You know, we don't have to plug into the national grid to have a conversation with somebody. So great ideas are, you know, green ideas. You touched on a very important point about the industry, actually, is that we do, you know, we do produce a lot of waste. Right. Let's be honest. About and I think it. it's I mean, getting worse. And it's going to it's getting it's worse. The tsunami of, of stuff. I mean, yeah. people have been deluged with average. Yeah. Deluged with it. And I think it. But that's why people are switching off. And we've got the we've got the experience. We've got the data. We've got the mm. expertise. We've got the availability. There's no reason why we have to create average. So you've got. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we've got to say to people, look, come on. You know, you're you're if you believe in your green agenda, you know, is your company environmentally friendly and you're doing all the things and you're recycling waste paper? Yeah. <laughs> well, why not think about doing a better idea that doesn't see so much energy behind it? This, this, mm, that's a green thought. <laughs> what about that? This what is about an angle doing... I didn't expect us to get to, actually. Well, reduce waste. Reduce waste <laughs> with a great idea. With a great idea. I think it's, you know, I, I think that's the future of um, helping people understand why creativity yeah. is so important. 
And if, if anyone's listening or watching, uh, what's the format that you? What's the format of the the course? So how, how will they learn through doing this? Well, they it you, you it's a series of eight lectures. We 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 launch it in tranches, so we don't you know you just can't plug in any time, because what I then do is over the period of courses I answer questions that come up, and then we give people reading material if they want to follow on things. So it. It's really quite complete, but it, we do it in uh, uh, tranches. Now, next one is on the 16th. I think it's the 16th of October. We're launching it over eight weeks. Um, and uh, as I say, we do it in that way so I can engage with questions that might come up. Yeah, and people get an opportunity to ask questions they and do get, get the feedback yeah, as well. Yeah, That's and we awesome. do that every other week, I think. Well, it sounds fantastic. I mean, I, 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 I think that one of the things you've touched on, I think Ritson particularly has helped open open people's eyes marketing and advertising in general is not that well known for like training its people i mean it's very work learn on the job kind of industry isn't it and i think there's a there's there is actually a renaissance at the moment in the amount of training that's available i mean part of the reason i did this podcast actually was that i thought if i'm if i want to learn about how marketing is done and learn from people that have done it there's not that many ways of doing it it's not like being an accountant mm. where you do your three-year aca and you get your that's tick. Right, yeah that it's doesn't funny, exist does it? It? Yeah. it's weird that and why yet the value it, we create is enormous. Yeah. Why is it some of the most important things are the, are the, are the, are least, the least regarded? Trained, yeah. You know, it's kind of weird. I we, don't we're know perverse the answer. As, as well, it's back beings. to the, you know, creativity can have a bigger impact on business than anything else. And mm. yet it's the one thing that is intangible that there's the less time mm. focused on. We tend to like things that are certain, don't we? Well, like, you like I can measure and manage it. it yeah, and therefore, I'm going to just do you that, know. you know. Well, even I have to say, it made me laugh at BBH and, and we'd have a training program. I used to remind uh, various managing directors, chairmen, CEOs, I see how much of that budget is going against the creative department? And they'd all look at me kind of slightly guiltily and go, well, um, <laughs> well, well none really. And I'd go, hmm, should we change that? Oh. And, they, and they always used to feel, no, you lot, we'll just go over and have a good time. I know what you're going to do. But that might be the most wonderful thing in the world. Do you know what? That is a killer client question, right? So in a brief, you, in a pitch, you could go, so what percentage of the agency's training budget goes on goes, helping goes, the creative department get to the get creative better? department. There you go. Uh, that would be was, a decider, That would be right? a good one, won't it? Get them come back on that one. Ooh. It, was, it, was, it made me laugh. I, we did get it changed at BBH. But it did, when they started doing it, but see, it's all run by planners and and account handlers yeah. and people like people who go well i'll need to do this and i need to do that well, what about the creative the, the work you're selling yeah 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 shouldn't we there think is, about there, making there, that better there is this sense isn't it that the really top positions have to be captain sensible don't they they have to be the sort of city approved you know accountants with lots of years of managing the balance sheet you know yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's but, it's hilarious you know even as i say even at bbh I, I guess that's another question you could ask is what percentage of your leadership team are made up of creative people well, I, I, I had a, it, a BBH, it was always quite high, actually. And I, I was very fortunate. I got a, a, a lunch with John Lasseter of Pixar, the founder of Pixar. And he made a, an incredibly simple point. And, uh, of course, we know his story got kicked out of Disney yeah. because he wanted to do animation in a different way. Pixar did that, Toy Story, all the famous things. And then, of course, when... Disney were in a terrible way. They bought Pixar so they could get John Lasseter back. And he said a very simple point. He said, you can't have a creative company without creative people being at the top of it. Very it's a very true. simple point, isn't it? Point of difference And how many well. agencies have creative people? It doesn't have to be the only person yeah. at the top, along with, you know, a 
managing director, you have a creative director. Yeah. How many of them have that? Yeah. You know, how many yeah. of the groups are run by or have creative people at the very, very top? Not a lot. Not a lot. You know, no, that's true. It's, and it's a, a sad indictment, I think, of how the business thinks of itself. It doesn't think of itself as a creative business, mm. which it is, because everything that agencies do, clients could do it all apart from yeah. the creative bit. 100%. That's why yeah. you know, my partner, Nigel Bogle, always used to say, you know, he always said, if, if you likened an agency to, to a lifeboat, the last people you'd throw overboard would be the creative people. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've run in-house agencies a lot, and, and very often the reason is to lower cost. You know, you need yeah. to keep, keep your cost down. And you're absolutely right. The, 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 the one thing you won't get is absolute creativity and broad thinking and all the rest of it. And that's, that's a challenge because if, as an agency, you're not bringing that game, Potentially, you're up yeah. for... Up What's for driving your business? Writing contact reports? Exactly. Doing research? Yeah. Writing strategies? No, not really. Client could do all those things. One thing they can't do yeah. is come up with a great idea. That's your advantage. That is. And you don't invest in it. Exactly. Um, one question to end on, uh, just to a bit of a different twist. If you were launching a new agency today... <laughs> <laughs> so let me be on the no. spot. No. I know you're not, so I know you're not. You're doing the opposite thing. But I'd just be intrigued to know, with all your experience and what you've done and achieved in your life, you know, if you were, if you were listening to this and you're, maybe you're a young creative in an agency and, and you're thinking, you know, th- there's a point in your career where you must have gone, do you know what? I'm, I'm doing this for the bosses. I'm doing this for the holding company, whatever. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this with my name above the door. If you're that person today listening, going, I could be the name above the door, what, what would you do? What would your advice be? Well, I think the first thing you do is, is you have to look at what the marketing community needs. Now, not what it wants. Remember, there's a difference between want and need. So that's the first thing. You'd sit down and think about that. What does this business need? What do my clients need? And as I say, separate want and need. You know, And construct your business around this is what they need so you can and there'll be lots of different ways of doing it i think one of the other things it's a very fractured market now so you could come in at lots of different levels so i would come in and what i would say is there's a huge amount of work being done on content and 99.9 percent of it is just rubbish and i would say if i could change anything i would change that I would come in with that. And I had a very interesting conversation. We were, all of us down at Cannes, and we were talking about content and because we'd done a little presentation around it. And Kev Brown, one of our partners, said, you know, I hate the word content. Why don't we think of a different word? It's just a horrible word. My dustbin's full of content, you know. No wonder you don't. Yeah. And we, we were chatting about it, and we thought, well, why don't we, we should call it entertainment? That's what people love. Instead of calling content content, let's call it entertainment. And that's where I'd come in. I'd come in through that door. I'd re- rebrand it entertainment. And this is how to engage with your audience. In fact, Paul, Paul Felbeck in his book talks about putting on a show. And I love yeah. that. You know, it's yeah. like, I think his book's Why the Peddler Sings, I think it is. And um, the idea that the peddler makes the money by putting on a show at the door in return, and then sells you something. And then sort of thing. You and something, yeah. we're a lot. We have a lot more in common with an entertainment company than we do with. Well, uh, I think else. in the end that, that we want to be entertained. And yeah. if advertising doesn't entertain me, I'm not going to bother. Yeah, there you go. Well, that's the perfect place to end on entertainment. 
Great John, stuff. thank you so much. Yeah, it's been great pleasure. having you back. Real pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Uncensored CMO. It's a real pleasure having you join me. Um, if you'd like to never miss an episode again, please do hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you're watching on YouTube, please hit subscribe there. If you want to contact me, I'm over at Twitter at Uncensored CMO or on LinkedIn at John Evans. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you next time.